house of the Lord. I'll just take some time to pray, the, pray to the Lord. Oh, Lord our God, we exalt and bless and glorify your holy name. To you belongs the praise and the honor. We bless you, Lord. Father God, may you receive the praise and the adoration this, this day from our hearts. Help us to look to you this, in this next hour as we read on your word and discover things about you. Grant us a revelation of Christ, we pray. May Christ be exalted in all we do. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Praise God. Well, it is really good to be with you this morning, and I'm going to be in Exodus 24 and Exodus 32 this morning. Exodus 24 and Exodus 32. As many as you know, God has really laid upon my heart the whole Exodus account as a template, as a picture, as a plan of our salvation journey. And uh, it's just such an incredible revelation of salvation from start to finish. And uh, I've been looking at the whole Exodus account and uh, just seeing how the children of Israel left Egypt. That's the way we're supposed to leave this world. And they... Uh, celebrated the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. They removed the leaven from their lives like us repenting from our sins. And they fed upon the Passover lamb. And this is true conversion, to repent of our sins and feed upon Christ. Not just repenting of our sins, but also coming to that point where we receive Christ as Lord, where we feed upon the Passover lamb. Then we go into our baptism experience through the Red Sea. And if you've never been baptized, you need to be baptized. Jesus said, repent and be baptized, every one of you. Simon Peter said that. Then they went through the bitter waters of Mara. God deals with a bitterness in our hearts. And you'll never make any meaningful progress in your life if you don't deal with the bitterness and the resentments and the grudges you bear in your heart. God wants that to be dealt with. And there's the Amalekites. The Amalekites come and attack. That's dealing with the flesh. And in some way, we need to learn to deal with our flesh and fight against our flesh, at least in some measure in our life, if we're ever to make meaningful progress in our Christian life. Then after a few months, God brings the whole children of Israel to Mount Sinai, and they camp at the mountain. And Moses, the man of God, goes up the mountain, and he receives the law, the law of God. And it's just such a tremendous picture of how, we, how the Holy Spirit comes upon a man a woman, a new covenant believer, and they receive the Holy Spirit and the, the law of Christ, the law of the Spirit, the law of love, gets engraved into tablets of human hearts. And we are empowered for service. And, if, you know, I, I want to ask you this morning, have you been up God's mountain? Have you got to that point where you have gone up his mountain with clean hands and a pure heart and you've received the infilling of the Holy Spirit? Because if you're ever going to have success in this Christian walk, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's such a key aspect of our Christian walk, being filled with the Holy Spirit. And uh, the, the children of Israel, they feared God of the mountain. They said to Moses, well, you go up. We'll stay right here. Thank you very much. You know, they heard the words of God himself. Can you imagine that? Hearing the words of the Almighty God, declaring the words of his covenant. And they asked Moses to be their spokesman with the dealings with the Almighty. And they heard the words of God himself as he uttered the words of the Ten Commandments. And they all agreed to the covenant with these words in Exodus 24, verse 3. All the words which the Lord has spoken, we will do. They agreed. They said, yes, Lord, 
I agree with your covenant, we will do it. Moses then read the book of the covenant in their hearing, what God expects of them, what he required of them, and he sprinkled them with the blood of the covenant. And they were now under the blood as we come under the blood of Christ when we get born again for the first time in our lives. And the response in verse 7 of Exodus 24 was, All that the Lord has spoken we will do and we will be obedient. Such an obedient nation they were. (laughs) All that the Lord has said we will do and we will be obedient. Very much like we say today, Lord, I accept you into my life. Come into my life. You will be my Lord and my Savior. All that you say I will do until I don't. But they're now under the blood. As a new believer comes under the blood and they they come into that privileged position of coming under covenant position with God Almighty. And because they are now under the blood, God even allows Aaron, Nadab, Abihu and seven of of the elders of Israel to also accompany Moses up the mountain and to see something of God himself in Exodus 24, verses 10 and 11. And it says, they saw the God of Israel. And under his feet there appeared to be a pavement of sapphire, as clear as the sky itself. Yet he did not stretch out his hand against the nobles of the sons of Israel. They saw God, and they ate, and they drank. Can you imagine that being one of those guys? Until this time, everyone's quivering with fear of the foot of the mountain. You shall not go near the mountain. No one can even touch the mountain. And now because they're under the blood, God allows 70 of the elders of Israel, the nobles of Israel, to go up and to eat and drink in his presence. And they see an awesome revelation of the God of Israel. I don't believe this was God the Father because he says, no man can see me and live. I believe this was the Jesus Christ in his glorified form. And they looked upon Jesus, the word of God, the angel of the Lord, and they ate and drank in his presence. Had such a an amazing revelation of God himself. They saw the creator of heaven and earth. And the leaders were supposed to take that revelation and then use it to strengthen their brethren in the camp to worship the living God and to serve him only. And in Exodus 24, verses 17 and 18, it says, To the eyes of the sons of Israel, the appearance of the glory of Yahweh was like a consuming fire on the mountaintop. Moses entered the the midst of the cloud as he went up the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and for 40 nights. So many miraculous encounters with the divine. They're now encamped before the mountain. Sinai is covered with a cloud. And upon the summit of the mountain there is consuming fire that can be seen. The children of Israel have been brought into a blood covenant with the almighty God privileged positions, repeatedly instructed in the words of the the covenant, which the first words of his covenant were in Exodus chapter 20, verses 2 to 5. I am Yahweh, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And if you don't remember anything from this morning's message, remember these words. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And we serve the same jealous God today.
What does it mean that God is a jealous God? I used to read that and think, jealous? How can God be jealous? Because my carnal mind thought of a man being jealous for his girlfriend or his wife, or a woman being jealous for her husband, flirting with someone else. This is a sensual jealousy. This is how we understand these things. But everything God does is holy, and his jealousy is a holy jealousy. And he is not jealous for a lover who has gone off. He is jealous for the honor of his own name. Our God is jealous for the honor of his own name and his own glory. And we need to understand these things. We serve the same jealous God today, who is jealous for the honor of his own name. Now, to our human carnal mind, this sounds quite different to the way we think about things. But this is how God operates. And if we're ever going to make progress in our life, we need to know God for who he is. And this is an integral characteristic of God himself. So often we're so used to making a God in our own image because this is the God we like. It's the God that doesn't push us too much. God doesn't challenge us too much. But God is who he is and is who he says he is. He says that he is a jealous God. And his first commandment he writes upon our hearts of the new covenant is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. We serve the same jealous God today. It's just worded in a different way, but it's the same, same God we serve. We serve a jealous God today. God did not bring you out of Egypt. He did not say, if you are saved today, God did not save you in order for the purpose of you going to heaven. That's a byproduct. God saved you if you are saved today. He saved you in order to display his greatness through you. In order to make his name glorious through you. And a part of that is taking you to heaven. But that's a byproduct. So often when I was young, I come into Christ, come into the faith, it was all about not going to hell and going to heaven. And there's a place for that, and I understand that. And, you know, the fear of hell spurred me into receiving Christ as my Savior. It really did when I was 16 years old. That, that had a great motivating effect upon my life. But at some point in the journey, you need to understand it's not all about me. It's not all about you. It's all about Him. It's all about His great name. So often we worship the Lord, and I don't know about you, but many times I've come to worship needing a bit of a pickup. And I worship the Lord because I know it's going to make me feel good. But that's not how we're supposed to worship the Lord. We're supposed to worship the Lord to bring glory and honor to his name. And that will also make us feel good as a byproduct. But that's not the focus. What is our focus today, brothers and sisters? How do I live my life? You know, sometimes I can say, well, don't do this, don't do that, because if you do this, there's consequences and there's that fear factor. And there is. If you do evil things, you will get evil results. But why do I do things in my life? Is it to bring honor to the Lord God Almighty? Why am I behaving in the way I do? Is it to bring honor to him and to bring glory to his name? Because this is why you're created. This is exactly why you have been created, is to bring glory and honor to the living God. In the, I think it's in Ezekiel 36, I believe. He says, not to you, O Israel. I don't do these things for you. I do these things for my own great name, that it would not be profaned. And sometimes we're so obsessed with ourselves we're so used to just thinking everything through our own eyes and our own viewpoint that we don't get that. But we need to break through and realize it's all about him. 
It's all about him. Why do we seek the Lord? It is to seek for his face, to know him for who he is. And an integral part of who he is is that he is a jealous God and he will have no other gods before himself. And if you try and put any other thing before him, you will find that he is a jealous God and you will experience nothing of his presence, nothing of the joy of his forgiveness, nothing of that sense of intimacy with the Lord God Almighty if you allow anything to be an idol in your life and come before you and the Lord Almighty. To glorify God's great, own, great name is the greatest calling a man can ever receive. And yet so often we want our own name to be glorified and magnified. God is to be first in everything in our lives. And this is a command that he has written upon our hearts by his Holy Spirit. And this is why it's so important to come up to his mountain and to receive that infilling of the Holy Spirit. Where literally the, the, the Spirit himself fills your heart with his love. Where you... Come into the love of Christ through the Holy Spirit shed abroad in your heart. So important to have that command of God's love to be written, inscribed into a tablet of your human heart. So important. So the Israelites are before the mountain. And they've been waiting for a few weeks. And they're waiting for Moses. And they're waiting and they're waiting. And often we go through a period of time in our lives where we're just waiting, we're just waiting, and we're waiting for that next step. When's God going to do something great in my life? When am I going to go to the next level? And sometimes it just seems nothing much is just happening. And the Israelites just had to wait for four, five, maybe up to six weeks. But what happened in those six weeks? I think we all know Exodus 32. Exodus 32, verses 1 to 35, I won't read it all, but... Um, it says, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come from the mountain, the people assembled about Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods, who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not even know what has become of him. Can you imagine? They have just heard the words of God Almighty. Have you ever heard the audible words of God Almighty speak, speak something to you? They had. They had heard God himself. They saw consuming fire at the top of the mountain, the glory of the Lord covered in the cloud. And now they're saying, come make us gods. We want gods that will go before us because we're, we're tired of waiting. We want to go on ahead to Egypt. We want to get to our promised land. God's promised us to go to heaven. We want to go to promised land. We don't want to wait anymore. We want to get there. Make us gods who will go before us, gods that we can control, gods we can make in our own image, gods that we can control. Utter willful rebellion against God, against his mediator and his covenant, something Aaron should have stopped in their tracks. But Aaron is weak. Aaron is weak and he listens to them. God save us from weak leaders today, I tell you. Just talking about those leaders earlier, agreeing with this whole agenda. God save us from weak leaders. We need strong leaders in these days. The people pressure Aaron to make them gods according to their own image and he gives, he gives in to them. And they give generously to the effort. All the gold they should have been given as an offering to the Lord Almighty is now taken off the ears and the ears of their children and made to, into an image, crafted into an image, made to look like God or how they thought God should look like. And the people give very sacrificially and they appear very sincere, very devoted, but all for nothing. 
Exodus 32, verse 6. So the next day they rose early. They didn't roll out of bed at 10, 11 o'clock in the morning. They rose early and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. They thought they were being really religious, really good disciples. And it is amazing how keen and how zealous people can be in worshipping a piece of shiny metal. Have you ever seen a procession of people following the statue of the Virgin Mary before? Porcelain and metal, that's all it is. And yet if you touch that thing, if you cause it to fall or woe betide you, you're touching the sacred statue of Mary, a piece of shiny metal, a golden calf. What if you were in a Muslim land and you say anything about the Prophet Muhammad or what they say the Prophet Muhammad, you'll have a riot on your hands. Why? Because it's become their idol. And they are incredibly zealous and they want to show to everybody else how zealous they are for their golden calf. But then that's in atheistic societies like North Korea. When you take religion and take God out of the picture or so you think, man has that inbuilt need to worship something greater than himself. So they put the, the great leader becomes the idol of the nation. And they have days of, almost like feast days, they replicate the whole thing. But it's to a person, a man. And people start worshipping a person, Kim Jong-un or Kim Jong-il or Stalin or Lenin or whatever they are. Man has that inbuilt need to worship something greater than himself. So the, the great leader becomes the great idol, the great golden calf of the, of, the, of the nation. But today you have people in America, the Democrats, Obama becomes their golden calf. Or Trump, heaven forbid, Trump can become a golden calf. You know, Trump is only a man. He's not, a, he's not God. He does some good things, but he's not God. But the way some people talk about him, it's almost like he's the second coming of Christ. Watch out for that, because one day the, a man of sin will come, and they'll think he's, he's a great man, and they, they will follow him. Watch out for any person who gets put in the place of God, because God will never allow it, because he will not share his worship with another Sometimes it can be our football team. It can be all sorts of different things. I go to, I listen some, I used to listen years and years ago to um, radio and, and the, the guys used to talk about their football teams and um, it was just like a religion. I remember seeing Chelsea when they won the Premier League a number of years ago and Mourinho was their manager at the time and he was coming out of the training ground and people were actually bowing down to his car to worship him. And you think, oh, it's silly football fans. But it's their golden calf. They really worship that team. It's become an idol and God will have no other gods before him. Anything can become an idol. We look down at sort of people who live in the jungle and think, oh, they're backward societies. They, they worship idols of wood and think, we wouldn't do that. Oh, yes, we would. We would just do it in a much more civilized manner or so we think. Anything that gets put in the way of God is an idol in your heart. And God says he wants to get rid of the idols, get rid of the golden calf. And you'll never get past the golden calf in the journey if you don't learn to put the Lord your God first in everything you do and realize that he is a jealous God who desires the honor for himself. And he's created you to worship him and he's created you for the glory of his great name. Often I used to come to church and I'd think, um, well, I'm almost like I'm doing God a favor by praising him. <laughs> don't know if you've ever felt that. 
ignorant as I was. You know, you think, well, God should enjoy it. I, I'm, I'm sacrificing to give God praise. It is my privilege to give God praise. It is absolute, the, the utter privilege that I can come before him and give thanks to his name and give glory to him who sits upon the throne, that I can enter into his presence to bring him glory. What an honor. We need to adjust our thinking because God is a jealous God and he is jealous for the honor of his own name. But to erect an idol is to put anything or anyone before God in your heart. And the standard of God is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. That's the standard, brothers and sisters. If you think about that, that's a very, very high standard. And you will not be able to achieve it unless the love of Christ has been shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit. Unless you have been empowered to love, you will not be able to love with the love that God expects you to love him. That's why we need the baptism in the Holy Spirit. We need to see God. We need to come before him and be filled with power from on high. We need it, brothers and sisters. But so often we put other people before us. We put family members before us. Remember when David and Shirley were giving their testimony and Shirley was saying when she was in the kidnapping situation where the guns were there and they, they, they knew that you know, that could be it. She wasn't thinking of God. She was thinking about her two sons. And she realized in that situation, she thought she was really religious and really sincere and really devoted, but she realized at that point when the rubber hits the road, the idol in my heart was my two sons. How many of us have children and our children become our idol? And then when our children start wandering off the path, because that's often what they do, what do we do about it? There's often a pressure upon Christian parents when the children start going off astray and going off to the nightclubs and getting drunk and doing this stuff. Well, maybe I should just tone it down a bit. Maybe I shouldn't be so spiritual. I should sort of meet them where they're at. Well, we meet them where they're at, but we don't lower the standard. And there's a real temptation on Christian parents to do that. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength. If anyone loves his father, mother, brother, sister, son, daughter, more than me, they are not worthy of me. We are called to love our sons and daughters. We are called to love our parents. We are called to love and respect our elders. But that's all through the love of God. We learn to love God first, and then out of that love, we then love our family. Does the things, do things we have mean more to us than God? Do our, do our gamings mean more to us than God? Does our car, does our mobile phone, does watching sport? Or oh, it could be anything. It could be absolutely anything. Does our church or our ministry come before God? My goodness me, that's a big one. It's so spiritual, it can be really airbrushed really nicely. I tell you, I've met men who will be happy to kick someone out of their church if it meant that they would keep their job, keep their career, keep their idol, keep their church. If you're willing to crucify someone else in order to keep hold of your position, your job, your church, then that thing has become an idol. Because the commandment of God is to love the Lord your God first and love your neighbor as yourself. How many pastors and preachers idolize their church or their ministry? It's very easy to do because you feel a calling of God and sometimes in the past, maybe, I wonder if I've done this myself, you feel that calling of God and it becomes everything about the call. And you suddenly realize, what about the God who made the call? And you start seeking God for opportunities and you think, well, if I do this and I do that and I get an opportunity, well, 
What about seeking the Lord instead and seeking him? And if he wants to give you opportunities, he'll give you them. And if he doesn't, he doesn't. Praise God. Praise God who gives. Praise God who takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Many of us are idol worshippers, but we don't actually realize it because we give ourselves much leeway and much grace. And we don't often consider the greatness, the majesty of God and the travesty of putting anything in any way, shape or form before him. It's very difficult when we're in this body, this physical body, because we don't actually see God. And so sometimes it's very difficult to perceive his majesty. But one day we'll see him face to face and then everything will fall into place. We'll understand fully at that time. We'll realize then how great he truly is and how lowly we esteemed him in our lives and how foolish we were to put such silly, trifling little things before him. His greatness is unfathomable and he will be God of all or not God at all. It's all or nothing with our God. We often preach a very kind and loving and sort of nice God today. And God can be nice at times, but that does not define him. Niceness does not define God. Holiness defines him. Love defines him. Justice defines him. Jealousy defines him. He is all these things. And sometimes he is nice, but sometimes he may not appear nice in our eyes. But he is just and he is righteous and he is good. And with him he is all or nothing with our God. He will be God of all or not God at all. We'll never get past the golden calf if we don't recognize this about our God and do something about it. Now, unfortunately, many people fall at the golden calf because they give their zeal and their devotion to objects or people whom they serve rather than the Lord of heaven and earth. Mankind has a chronic addiction to idol worship and we, 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 we have that sense of worshiping the divine but the sinful nature perverts it. Instead, we don't love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But in Psalm 135, verses 15 to 18, it says these words. The idols of the nations are but silver and gold, the work of man's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. They have ears, but they do not see. They have eyes, sorry, they have ears, but they do not, eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Nor is there any breath at all in their mouths. Those who make them will be like them. Yes, everyone who trusts in them. If you make an idol, you will become like that idol. God says that the idols of this world are dumb and blind. And how many people came to Jesus and he said to them, are you not foolish? Are you not deaf? Are you not blind? Are you so dull of hearing? We don't say things like that in church today because we offend people. But often I have been dull of hearing many times in my life and I've probably realized because I've had idols in my heart, possibly often without realizing it. Jesus says there will be a people who have ears to hear but cannot hear and eyes but have no sight. It's quite frustrating being in church preaching. Sometimes I've been in churches and people are falling asleep and they have no ears to hear anything but get outside, talk about their favorite football team, their light, face lights up. They can tell you all the scores of the previous day. They can tell you the statistics, how many assists this guy had. They can tell you the whole rundown, but talk, when you start to talk about the things of God, 
no interest. Those who make them will be like them. Everyone who trusts in them will be like them. That's why it's so important to rid ourselves of the idols and to serve the Lord as he truly is, the God of all the earth, the sovereign Lord who has your, your life in the palm of his hands and he can do with you as he pleases. And if the Lord gives, praise the Lord. And if the Lord takes away, praise the Lord. The Lord has given, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. This needs to be our attitude, brothers and sisters. We need to have ears that are pierced through. There's a real sleepiness about the church today. I'm not saying so much in this place this morning, but there's a real sleepiness in the Western churches today. And it's encroaching more and more as materialism and money, searching after money and different gospels come in and change things. There's a real slumbering over the congregations of many people. I've been in all sorts of different places and all sorts of different nations. And you see this hardness in people, this callousness where you, you're giving words of life and literally people are just sitting there and it's just bouncing off them. They're not hearing anything. They're hearing words, but they're not hearing because those words are not penetrating into their heart and their soul and becoming words that actually minister into their souls. We need to have our ears pierced. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 21, it's the very last verse of the whole epistle to, of John. And John has been talking all about living in the light, living in the love, and so much about loving God and how, what it is to love God. And then he finishes the whole epistle with these words, little children, guard yourselves from idols. And I used to read that and think, what a strange phrase to finish that letter with. Love the Lord your God if someone's not living in the light and the love, and it's all about love and light. And little children, keep yourself from idols. Where did that come from? But the fact is, you cannot live in the love of God. You cannot live in the light if you have idols in your heart. It's as simple as that. And we have, so many of us have idols we don't even realize are there. And it will take the light of Christ to shine in our hearts to reveal them to you. And God will put you in a situation where your idol gets touched and you will elicit a reaction out of you which will reveal the idol which is in your heart. And when you see people getting angry and annoyed, you think, why are they getting angry? Why are they getting annoyed? Maybe their idol has been touched. Could be. <clears throat> One of the most shocking things about the whole uh, account of the golden calf is that Aaron referred to the golden calf with the holy name of God, Yahweh. We have it capitalized in our Bibles, L-O-R-D, as if it's, he said, Lord. But he actually used the holy name of God. Exodus 32, verses 4 and 5. He didn't call it Molech or Chemish or Baal or Zeus or Astra, did he? He called it Yahweh. He took the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made it into a molten calf. And they said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Now when Moses saw this, he built an altar before it. How crazy could he be? And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to Yahweh. The sacred name. They identify this bit of metal, this idol, with the one who has brought them up out of Egypt, the land of Egypt, and the one who is named I Am. 
Yahweh, the holy name of God himself. And the people brought offerings, as it were, to Yahweh. They thought they were worshipping God Almighty. They brought their offerings. If you'd have asked them and said, who are you bringing your offering to? They wouldn't have said, well, to Baal, to Chemosh, to Molech. I'm bringing my offering to God Almighty. I'm bringing my offering to Yahweh. They thought they were doing service in his name. They thought they were giving an offering in his name. Just because someone says they're praising Jesus or giving an offering in God's name or doing service in his name today does not mean that that is the reality of the situation. When you're young in the faith, you accept everything, and certainly I did. But it's only later when you start to realize that not all worship is holy worship. Not all service is holy worship, a service. In Acts chapter 7, when Stephen stood before the Sanhedrin, in verses 41 to 43, Stephen is remembering the time when they made the golden calf and brought a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. But God turned away and delivered them up to servant the host of heaven. As it is written in the book of the prophets, it was not to me that you offered victims and sacrifices for 40 years in the wilderness, O Israel. You also took along the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of the god Romper and the images which you made to worship. God is only interested in one form of worship and that is worship in spirit and in truth. And if it is not according to the truth which is in Christ Jesus, if it is not according to the truth that is in God's word, it is a profane worship we're offering. Even if we think we're offering it to God Almighty. I tell you, for years we were in the faith prosperity movement, probably about 13 years. I used to think I'm offering service and praise to God. And in my heart I was trying to give service to God. But somewhere along the line it gets changed, it gets tweaked. And you start not worshipping the God of the Bible, but you start worshipping something else. And it gets changed. But you think in your heart you're worshipping the Lord God Almighty because you're using the word Jesus and the preacher's using the word Jesus. He's talking about the Holy Spirit and he's talking about God. Well, Muslims talk about God as if he, Allah is if that's their God. They, they believe they're worshipping God. They call him Allah. We don't believe he's our God. He's not our God. But they believe they're under an illusion they're worshipping God. many Mormons they call their church the church of Jesus Christ and the latter day saints they believe they're serving Jesus but I tell you it's another Jesus it's another Christ it's another God and it's another spirit if one comes and preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached or you receive a different spirit which you have not received or a different gospel which you have not accepted you bear this beautifully I tell you, many churches today are churches of the golden calf because they have substituted the worship of God for something else, a God made in their own image, a God that they can control. But they call it God. They call it Yahweh. They call it Jesus. And it deceives thousands. I've been in those churches. I've been around those sort of people. I know people who can be incredibly zealous serving serving the man of God in the house and they're getting up early and they're going home late and they're, they're doing everything they can to serve God but it's all, all to what? Serving a golden calf and yet so many people don't realize it because it's not according to the word. What is the standard? The word is the standard. Whatever God says about himself in the word, that is the standard. 
And if God says he is jealous for the honor of his own name, he is jealous for the honor of his own name. We serve that same jealous God today. Much of Christendom and church culture over the past 35 years has been twisted, I've seen. And often it's a mix, an unholy mix. They believe they're worshiping God, but actually it's mixed with other things. You cannot worship the, the worship of the divine being with things that we want to make him look like, the golden calf. Jesus is not cool. Jesus is not nice. Jesus can be nice, but he's not, that does not define him. Jesus is righteous. Jesus is holy. Everything he does is enshrined by his holiness. Nothing God does or nothing Jesus does or did is outside of his holiness. Everything he does is holy. When Jesus was angry, it was a holy anger. When Jesus was jealous for the honor of his Father's name, it was a holy jealousy. When he was sad, it was a holy sadness. Everything he did was enshrined by that sense of God's holiness. And if something does not have the holiness of God in it, it's not of God. Simple as that. No other man can lay a foundation other than the one that is already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Many have been deceived by others. I was deceived for many years by others. We build our lives on something which is actually a, it's not a rock, but it's a golden calf. You don't really realize that until you see a glint in the sunshine. How many believers attend their church of the golden calf religiously week after week? Bringing in their offerings, their peace offerings, their worship, bringing their tithes and laying them down before the hooves of his golden altar, of golden hooves, and worship what they think is God and think is Jesus, but in reality they're standing before a golden calf, jumping around with so much energy around its shiny hide. So the next day they rose early and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. If you mix idol worship with the worship of the true and living God, it will always lead to people getting out of control. Frivolity. And that's what you see in church, so many churches today. People acting like animals. People acting crazy, like fools. There's no solemnity. There's no soberness in the church. There's this sense of being crazy and we're out there, we're hip. No, this is the golden calf. This is the worship of the golden calf. People get out of control. When profane worship is offered up, it results in fleshy conduct because it is not according to the fear of the Lord. And my, brother, my brothers and sisters, we need the fear of the Lord today. We need the sense of the fear of the Lord in our hearts and our souls like never before because there are so, many, so much profane worship going on out there. And if you have the fear of the Lord, when you go into a place like that, you will sense it immediately. You will know that this is not according to the Lord and you'll get out. God said he would consume the people because of their stiff-necked, corrupt ways. But, God, but Moses stood in the gap and averted a natural, national disaster. And similarly today, we have Jesus, the prophet like Moses. Praise God for Jesus. Standing in the gap. I tell you, years I was in faith prosperity churches doing crazy things. Praise God he took me out of there. Praise God he was my intercessor at the right hand of the Almighty. Praise God he was interceding for me. And how about you? How many years have you been in the wilderness, in the world, in a crazy church possibly? Or 
How long? Praise God he has brought us out. Praise God he has given us the illumination he has given us today. All things are to his praise and his glory and his honor. Moses came down from the mountain and his anger burned, a holy anger. Not a natural anger, but a spiritual anger, jealous for the honor of God's own name, which he saw being profaned before him. And he smashes the tablets of stone at the foot of the mountain. The things that were the work of God himself. God's work and his holy covenant had been broken because of their stony hearts and there would be consequences. We serve the same God today. So often we preach a nice and loving God and he is love, but he's also just and he's also jealous for the honor of his own name. In Exodus 32 and verse 20 it says, He took the calf which they had made and burned it in the fire and ground it to powder. And he scattered that powder on the water and he made the children of Israel drink it. If something has been put in the place of God Almighty as an idol and worshipped in his place, it is not enough just to remove it. Often in my life in the past, I've had idols in my heart or idols in my life. And I'm thinking, well, shall I just remove it, put it somewhere else, tidy it away somewhere? If something has been put in the place of Almighty God, it is not enough just to remove it and tidy it away somewhere. That thing needs to be destroyed and obliterated Completely. The Bible talks about it provoking the Lord to jealousy. The idol that provokes the Lord to jealousy. Do we understand what this is saying? Anything that has been put in the place of God Almighty in your life needs not only to be cast down, it needs to be obliterated. Put to death completely. It is something that provokes the Lord to jealousy. He's not jealous of it, but he's jealous for the honor of his own name that that thing is profaning. This is when Paul and Barnabas in Lystra, when, they, when Paul saw a man that had faith to be healed and he said, stand up on your feet and the man was healed and the people said, the gods have come down to us in human form and they run around starting to sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas. What did Paul and Barnabas do? If they were guys today, they would have said, oh, this is a good opportunity to preach the gospel. We've got a real captive audience here. Let's really preach the gospel to them. No, they ran out into the crowds, tearing their robes, saying, Brothers, do not do this thing. Do not sacrifice to us. Do not put us in the place of God Almighty. Do not do it. We are not. We are just a conduit. Look to the Lord God of heaven and earth. Anyone who is a minister in God's house, all they are is a conduit. They're not the man of God in the house. They are a conduit. They are a minister unto the Lord. And Paul and Barnabas feared the Lord. They knew that if even they, Paul and Barnabas, were put in the place of God Almighty and people would worship them instead, God would have have dealings with them. They would not allow it. They tore their robes, rushed out into the crowd in order to stop them. Remember when King Josiah in 2 Kings 23, when King Josiah came to the throne, there was an Asherah pole in the very house of the Lord an idol that provokes to jealousy. He didn't just take it and put it in a cupboard somewhere. What did he do to that Asherah pole? It says he took it to outside Jerusalem, took it to the brook Kidron, he burned it and he ground it to powder and the dust he threw on the graves of the common men. He defiled that Asherah pole as completely as he could because anything that has been put in place of Almighty God in our lives needs to be removed, destroyed, 
obliterated and defiled. Why did Moses make the people drink the waters containing the gold dust? So it would go into their body and then be removed and be defiled completely. Anything that has been put in place of God Almighty needs not only to be put to one side, needs to be removed and obliterated, defiled completely because God is jealous for the honor of his own name. And often we don't realize that. You'll never really make meaningful progress in your Christian life. You'll never experience true revival until you realize that God is a jealous God and he is jealous for the honor of his own name. Now when Moses saw that the people were let loose out of control, for Aaron had let them get loose to be a derision among their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, whoever is for Yahweh, come to me. And the sons of Levi gathered together to him. And he said, every man put his sword upon his thigh and go back forth from gate to gate in the camp and kill every man his brother, every man his friend, every man his neighbor. So the sons of Levi did according to Moses' word, and 3,000 fell that day. God is not mocked. The same God they served then is the same God we serve today. Only we have Jesus as our intercessor. We've been brought into a new covenant, a more glorious covenant. But we serve the same God. Do we have that same sense of holy fear before him when we serve him, when we bring our offerings before him? Are we careful when we bring our worship? Are we bringing worship to the true and living God? Am I honoring the true and living God who is jealous for the honor of his own name? And as Moses stood in the gate of the camp, so Jesus is the prophet like Moses today. He stands in the gate of the camp and he says the same thing. Whoever is for Yahweh, whoever is for the living God, whoever is for the true and living God, the true God of the Bible, come to me. And he's looking for sons of Levi to rally to his side. And he may tell you to strap a sword to your side and to go through the camp and restore order. And there is a cutting away of wrong doctrine. There is a cutting away of ungodliness in the church that needs to be done. Not in the carnal nature, but according to the spirit. We we wield the sword of the spirit, not the sword of the carnal nature, the sword of the spirit. In Malachi chapter 2, verses 4 and 6, God said, my covenant may continue with Levi, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him for reverence, and so he revered me, and he stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and unrighteousness was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many back from iniquity. I tell you, iniquity is getting out of control and out of hand in our nation and more specifically in our churches today because weak leaders like Aaron are allowing it to happen. Aaron, people who do not have the heavenly vision like Moses, people who want to form or want to appease the people or want to make a God in in our own image, a God that we can control, a God that's nice, a God that will take us to the promised land. Well, if we have that attitude, we'll never make it to the promised land. The only way we'll make it to the promised land is if we follow the angel of the Lord all the way and follow in his footsteps. God is looking for a people of like Levi today, a people who will not think of their own mother, their father, their family, but they will put God first. God is jealous for the honor of his own name. And he's looking for a people 
who will also be jealous with his jealousy. Not jealous in the sensual sense of the word. Jealous with his jealousy. Remember Phinus, the son of Aaron. Remember when he stabbed the two people through. Pretty macabre thought. But God said about him, he was jealous with my jealousy. And therefore he averted disaster, he averted the plague from all Israel. God is looking for such people today. Not to take up a spear against someone. But to be zealous for the Lord and for the honor of his name in our workplaces, in our homes, in our churches, wherever we are? Are we people that know the Lord and love the Lord and put the Lord first in everything he does? And do we know the Lord as a jealous God? And he will have no other gods before him. We're commanded to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength. That leaves no space for others. (laughs) We love them through the love that God gives us in our hearts. But first we must fix our eyes on Jesus. We must have that heavenly vision. We must be consumed by the love of Christ, the love of God. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Glorious Lord, we thank you for your word, which is truth. Father, we want to be worshippers whom you, you seek, worshippers who worship you in spirit and in truth. Father, f- forgive us the times in the past when we have not worshipped you according to spirit and truth, but we have worshipped you according to a lie. Father God, reveal your truth to us, we pray. Reveal the way of the Spirit to us, Father, we pray, that we may worship you acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Oh Lord God, help us to capture the heavenly vision. Help us to see past all this, the stuff of this world and see you as you really are, the living God, the Lord of heaven and earth who never changes. Help us to worship you, O Lord our God, in spirit and in truth. Take a hold of our hearts, Father God. Help us to ascend your mountain that we may be filled with your Holy Spirit. May your love fill our hearts that there'll be love for nothing else, there'll be no space for anything else in our hearts. Father God, keep us from idols, we pray. Guard us from idols. If we have idols in our hearts and in our lives, Lord, show us, we pray, that we may remove ourselves from them and come clean before you, that we may ascend your holy mountain. We bless you, Lord, and praise you. We thank you, Father God, for bringing us thus far. We thank you for delivering us from all the evil and the profanity of the past. Father God, continue to lead us, we pray. Lead us in steps of, paths of righteousness for your name's sake. For your name's sake. Help us to honor your name. To lift you up. And to live a life which is devoted to the honor of your great name. We bless you, Lord. And praise you for you are great and worthy to be praised. In Jesus' name. Amen.